It was just three weeks ago that we were starting to believe this Oklahoma team was actually really, really good. Like, not only a college football playoff contender, but a team with the ability to win a college football playoff game for the first time in school history. It's crazy how fast things can change in college football. Following Oklahoma's first 7-0 start in 15 years, the Sooners went on the road and got severely outplayed and beat by a well-coached but ultimately limited Kansas State team. Then after a bye week, the Sooners were lucky to get out of their first night game in two months with a win over a darn good Iowa State club that never really should have had a chance late in the game. A defense that looked pretty good for seven games has looked pretty bad for the last two. An offense that is still the best in college football only scored seven points after halftime. What are we to make of this Oklahoma football team right now? It's championship November. They're 1-0, and and it feels like they're 0-1. But we all know that ultimately feelings don't really matter. While Saturday's win over Iowa State was super ugly, OU still got out with a victory. Therefore, as Lincoln Riley said afterwards when asked, yes, all the Sooners' goals are still in front of them. This is a week-to-week sport, and Oklahoma still has a chance at the playoff, which means the Sooners still have a chance to win a national championship. I'm sure a lot of you are scoffing at that right now, and believe me, so am I. But just three weeks ago, we thought this team had the pieces to compete and maybe win it all. Looks like we were dead wrong about that, but at least OU won, which guaranteed that next Saturday's game at unbeaten Baylor will mean something. And meaningful Sooners football in November is certainly better than the alternative. I'm Lee Benson, and this is West of Everest. Bringing pressure with Mike Rose, who couldn't get there in time. It's Lamb hitting the accelerator, cutting it against the green, hurtling into the clear. There goes CeeDee Lamb. He gets the block. He gets inside the five. He is... I believe in. Can you believe it? He's in. Touchdown. C.D. Lamb welcomes us into the latest edition of West of Everest. Lamb went 63 yards for another fantastic touchdown to put on his resume. His Oklahoma went up 28-7 in the second quarter Saturday night. Lamb dominated the Cyclones. Eight grabs, 167, and two scores. Oklahoma needed every single bit of that production as... The Sooners survived a late two-point conversion attempt by Iowa State to win the game 42-41. Hey, everybody. Like after every Oklahoma game, a lot to get to on this podcast. Real quick before we dive in, you can listen to this show on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can leave us ratings and reviews on iTunes. Social media, we're on Facebook. Just search West of Everest. That's where you can leave us a note and a three-word review after the games. Twitter, I'm at Lee Benson News 9. Got a ton of three-word reviews on Twitter Saturday night. We'll go through those later in the show. And Grant is at Grant Benson 25. And if you want to send us an email, the email address is westofeverest at gmail.com. And so here's how I want to bring Grant into the show with a question. Grant, I think we might as well start with the end of the game. When Iowa State was lining up to go for two, what were you thinking? Well, generally, I'm a pretty pessimistic person, as people who have listened to this podcast could probably guess at. Uh, I mean, yeah, I thought they were very obviously going to get it. Pretty much everything that they had done in the second half, it seemed like, was working for them. So I I honestly assumed that they probably had had a perfect play call drawn up. I also thought Iowa State was going to convert, and we were all going to be coming onto this podcast and saying, well, that was uh, fun while it lasted. 
with this Oklahoma season. Iowa State rallied back, got the win. But, hey, something happened. Oklahoma got a stop. Parnell Motley intercepted the ball in the end zone. Honestly, as we're watching back, or I say watching back, I'm watching back. As we're doing this podcast, I still haven't gone back and watched full replays of that last play of the game or the last uh, the, the pick in the end zone. I was seeing people on social media, on Twitter specifically, saying that Oklahoma got away with one there. You watched the game on TV. Did Oklahoma get away with one there? Yeah, by you know, by the letter of the law. Yeah, probably. But I can in in real time, I can understand why a flag wasn't called. It was pretty bang bang. But when you slowed it down, yeah, I mean, he was Motley was there early for sure. All right. Well, they didn't throw the flag. Oklahoma has been incredibly aggressive in the secondary grabbing and tugging and pulling and for once it uh didn't backfire on them actually watching it right now yeah he was there a little early but yeah i can see how that was was tough in the moment to make that call it was also in traffic there was a lot of guys over there so it's just it happens i i I can definitely understand why iowa state fans are are upset about it and you know it, it happens it sucks for them but it happens but i think maybe even more concerning on that play is I Charlie Kohler was wide open and Purdy just missed him. So he had he he, he abused Pat Fields again in the you know uh in the box and uh yeah, just just thankfully Purdy didn't go his way. It took Brock Purdy quite a bit of time, it felt like in that game, to remember that Charlie Kohler was on his team, didn't it? Because it didn't seem like Kohler did anything until the second half. Just I wouldn't be surprised if I wouldn't be surprised if, if we go back and rewatch it. I think I think I think Charlie Kohler was a was a big part of OU's game plan. I think they were kind of shading coverage over to him in the first half. And then, you know, once Iowa State gets OU's defense on their heels, then it was just like I said, it was like a dam breaking. Everything was working for him, it seems like, especially in the run game. And it was just a um and yeah, I mean we're kind of going grab bag here, but I'm sure you're gonna want a little more a little more structure to this, but yeah, just what a weird game. And if were you there, Lee? So you didn't watch yes, it on TV? You I was there? there. Yeah, I was up okay. top yeah. shooting even the, for News 9. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Even the the uh, the TV guys, it was Brock Heward and I can't remember the other guy, but they even continuously commented, especially in the second half, about just how weird the game was, how weird the flow was, and just how, like, I think they even used the word eerie a couple times. And um, I don't know. Yeah, it just, it really did have the feeling of some past just very weird OU losses at home. And like it had it had kind of shades of that first one uh, against Iowa State a couple years ago. I kind of had weird feelings that that game was similar to uh, oh, about seven or eight years ago when they came in undefeated and they lost to Texas Tech at home. That game kind of felt like that too. Just, uh, just weird circumstances all around. Just one more note on this two-point play to wrap it up. I am watching it back again, and I see what you mean by Kohler being open. I will say you got to give credit to Deshaun White on the slightly delay blitz because he forced Purdy to get rid of the football. And if that blitzer isn't coming and Purdy's got you know another extra second or two, maybe he surveys back to Kohler who's standing wide open at the beginning of the end zone, right at the the start of it, and finds Kohler. So I, games like that defensively, I suppose you got to pull all the positives you can because there wasn't a whole lot of them after halftime. And I got to give credit to Deshaun White for almost getting there and forcing Purdy to throw the ball a little earlier than he probably would have liked. Because if not, again, I think Kohler would have uh, been spotted and the touchdown or the conversion may have happened 
instead of a, an incomplete or, I guess, interception, even though it doesn't go down as an interception for Parnell Motley officially. So here's the question that I would like to throw at you now after uh, the first question about the two-point play. Which one of these things is more of a glaring problem to you, and whichever one you decide will hit on that first and then move on with the rest of the podcast? So the question is between the defensive regression the past two games or the inconsistencies of this Oklahoma offense. What's more of a glaring problem to you right now? Well, I think we got to go with the defense, right? Because that's that's been the problem that's haunted this program the, the last handful of seasons. So, um, and yeah, and that's not to say, that's not to minimize the kind of the concern I have about the offensive inconsistency because that is that's certainly a problem now, or at least it appears to be. Um, but yeah, I think we should start with the defense just because... Um, I mean, there really were some some stretches of just really awful football there where Iowa State looked like OU on offense. I mean, that's how easily they were moving the ball. I have this broken down into many categories. Very simple. Good, bad, and sometimes there's some mixed thoughts. And so we want to begin with the defense. Let's do it. What's the good from the defense? And on the list here, I have the first half mostly. Oklahoma forced three three and outs, forced four punts total, did give up a couple touchdowns in that first half on some some chunk play drives, but for the most part, I think the first half was good. Let's start there. The first half is actually the only part of this game that I have done a full rewatch on. I got back to the station around 1 a.m. on Saturday, sat down, started rewatching the game, and I got to halftime, and I got I was really tired, decided to go home. Haven't had a chance to go back through the second half, which I know there's a lot more annoying plays after halftime that I'll have to get to eventually, and maybe as this podcast goes on, I'll be able to scrub through some of them. But first half, mostly, I think the defense was pretty good. Three and outs, the first two series. Oklahoma got that lead, 14 nothing, And then, yeah, gave up a touchdown, but there was another three and out. Forced four total punts, as I mentioned. And Oklahoma had a 35-14 to 14 halftime lead. And, and even though there was some uneven parts of that first half defensively, I think for the most part it was good. Would you agree? Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take three three and outs all day long. Uh, I'll take it. So I, I think if you're, if you're going to point to anything to be concerned about in the first half, it's obviously those two drives where Iowa State was able to just get a, a lot of chunk plays. But, you know, with those three three and outs and only giving up 14 points, being up three touchdowns at halftime, that of course that's a successful first half, right? Absolutely. Well, that was the good portion of the podcast for the defense. Let's move on to the bad. Because, <laughs> uh, like, the Oklahoma defense has provided us the last few years, with the exception of the first seven games here and there, there's been a lot of bad. And the second half was certainly bad. Oklahoma only got two stops the entire the entire period of the second half gave up four touchdowns tackling was atrocious easily the worst tackling game of the season actually let's go back to the first half briefly because I have a first half note in the bad part and that's the second play of the game when Parnell Motley dropped that interception that Brock Purdy threw right to him I made a a I put it out there I tweeted that that's the last time I'm going to say anything on this podcast or on Twitter or on Facebook about how, man, it's really annoying watching all these other college football games and you're seeing pretty good offenses. For example, 
Tua Tungavailoa on the opening drive against LSU literally drops the ball in the red zone, and LSU is able to just jump on it and get an easy free turnover. Yet Oklahoma is just scratching and clawing, can't buy a takeaway, and the havoc numbers have been there. That's the last time I'm going to bring that up because whenever Brock Purdy throws a ball right to you and you still can't catch it, and then you go back two weeks ago and Skylar Thompson threw two balls pretty much right to Trey Brown and he couldn't catch that, that's a problem for Oklahoma defense. That's like some people like to say, that's a you problem, as in that's an Oklahoma defense problem. So I think it's do- I'm done qualifying it because whenever teams are going to give you those potentially easy turnovers and you don't get them, then I'm sorry, I can't defend you anymore. I know it kind of surprised Motley because the ball wasn't really supposed to be going his way. You could kind of tell that the ball kind of jumped up on him quick, but it doesn't matter. You you got to be aware of that stuff. You got to make that play. And so that almost like set the tone the rest of the game in a way, Grant, that we've been talking about turnovers for months now, obviously throughout the bye week. Second snap of the game, we mentioned how Charlie Kohler, you mentioned in the last podcast, he'll give the ball away. I think he had seven interceptions coming in. He tends to stare down players here and there. 11 turnovers on the season. He's fum- he's lost four fumbles, too. Wow, okay. And the second snap of the game, the tone can be set. You pick that ball off, you go down, and maybe the floodgates open because at this point it's pretty clearly mental in that Oklahoma defense that they're thinking about it too much. They're trying to do too much, and they can't make plays because we heard Lincoln Riley last week. In practice, they're taking the ball away, according to Lincoln Riley, but it's not happening in the games the tone was not set the pick was dropped yeah Oklahoma got off the field on a three and out and ultimately the defense played well in the first half but that's just another negative turnover related thing to add to the pile and I wanted to bring that up here before we talked extensively about that second half so I'll stop talking and let you add on to that if you have anything sure and I'm I'm fond of, of talking about how Oklahoma's lack of turnovers is a, is a statistical anomaly. And you know what? I, I'm i not going to defend this. Stats do not tell the entire story all the time. That's why it's just one singular tool that we use to analyze stuff like this. And at this point in time, you're right. It's clearly a problem for Oklahoma. This is two straight seasons now where it's been a big problem. And this is, I mean, five straight games. And... I think I texted you right after that Parnell Motley dropped interception. I said, oh, you can't say that they don't have opportunities because they have. And these are just plays that they're not making now. And so I I think Alex Grinch has said in the past that a lot of the times takeaways or turnovers are, are, um, they, you know, uh, geez, what's the the word I'm looking for here? They're contagious. Um, And in order for things to be contagious, you got to catch it for the first time, right? And they're just not making those plays. And so it's it, you're right. It's clearly mental at, at this point in time. And if you want to look at it from a glass half full perspective, maybe the, you know, the homer take in me says, hey, maybe that really nice play that Parnell Motley made to rip the ball away from Deshante Jones, maybe, maybe that will open the floodgates a little bit. I, that's what you have to hope for at this point in time, right? Because, like, I mean, what else? Yes, yeah. Because it's just, it is kind of funny, though, that it technically does not go down in the stats as a takeaway. That's so the irony of it. That's yeah. what's, that's very, that is, you can laugh that off because Oklahoma gets it, but it's not really a takeaway. Yeah, that's, can that's I the add a, Can I add some things to the good for the defense? Oh, yeah, sorry. I didn't give you a chance to, to do that. Go for it. There were instances in this game where it felt like that they needed to get off the field, and this actually happened twice in the second half. 
and they did. You know, especially after that CD Lamb fumble, they I mean they they turned Iowa State over on downs on that on that drive. That was a really big stop. And uh they got that stop because guys on the defensive line kind of bowed their necks and they they stepped up and they made a play inside the red zone and I thought that was a really big drive. That doesn't negate any of the bad, obviously. They put a whole lot of bad football on tape. Um but I don't know, get it's okay to give them credit for for that, and um, but of course, much much more bad than there was good. I thought, you know, I this is me now, just just kind of going random. I th- I thought the safeties played their worst game, um, maybe all season. Uh, I thought DTY looked like he regressed after looking like he had improved so much over the last couple months. Um, Patrick Fields had a pretty rough game. Um, just, yeah, I mean, not a lot of great football was played. And um, really, I just just happy they won. That, I, that's really all you can take away from this one, right? Yeah, I agree. And I think a misnomer of the Kansas State game was that Oklahoma's tackling was bad in that game. It really wasn't. It was more Oklahoma wasn't in position to make tackles because Kansas State was outnumbering them and getting at them and blocking them and creating chunk run plays. Against Iowa State, the tackling was bad, and and Alex Grinch after the game just kind of briefly acknowledged. Somebody asked about the tackling the last two games, and Grinch said, "Well, I, I wouldn't quite say the tackling was a pro- that much of a problem against Kansas State, but then he said, yeah, of course Iowa State.' So I, I think that that doesn't mean a whole lot. But the point is, I, I wanted to bring up that I think this is the first time this year that the tackling was similar to last season. Grant, it, it was, was poor. atrocious. It was really poor." Granted, so much of it, too, is open field tackling, which I was driving back from the game Saturday night with Brett, who I work with at News 9, who you have heard on this podcast before asking questions to Ronnie Perkins before the Texas game. He's a big fan of the podcast. And I was telling him, listen, I get that people get really mad about missed tackles and bad tackling, and so do I. I do, too. But that's the one thing on a football field where even though it's kind of irrational – I put myself in their shoes, and even though I know they're supposed to be better because they're actually playing and they're Division One athletes, where I, I kind of forgive it more because I think open field tackling may be the most difficult thing to do on a football field because that person knows where they're going, and if and they have both sides to go to. They don't, you don't have the sideline to help you. That is so difficult. And I know that you watch other teams like Clemson and Alabama and sometimes you know LSU in the past and all these good defenses. And Iowa State, I guess I could say too, because that's a solid, really nice defense. And it seems like other teams don't have those same problems. And that is, that is true, I think, for the really elite teams. But look at Iowa State too last night. I mean, they couldn't tackle CeeDee Lamb. They had plenty of chances. They couldn't tackle him. There was other instances where they couldn't tackle Kennedy Brooks, so it does happen to other teams. It just happened a lot last night to, uh, on Saturday, Oklahoma. And again, even though I know that it's super annoying, it and it might be kind of irrational on my part, but that's kind of the one thing where I'm not as hard on players for missing open field tackles because I know it's so so difficult to do. But it is an excuse; they got to get better at it. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I like I said, I thought the tackling was poor, and it needs to be better. And yeah, I mean, I, I share your thoughts on it. I I agree that open field tackling is really difficult, and especially in 2019 football, when it seems like now the main game plan that everybody subscribes to is spread everyone out, try to try to utilize the most open space as humanly possible. Um, yeah, and that's when you make mistakes in that 
in that part of the game, it's going to be magnified a lot more. So, another issue too. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. So I was going to kind of switch over to. It kind of goes along with bad tackling, and that's for the second week in a row we saw some porous run defense. And Kansas State again, I believe, watching it back, the coaching staff, the offensive play calling was so good they created situations where Kansas State just outnumbered Oklahoma on the edge, sealed players off, and it was more hats than Oklahoma had. It was hat on a hat plus one or two. And you could tell Iowa State had a lot of those same principles in that game, couldn't you, Grant? Because I think you texted me third quarter, fourth quarter, and I saw this too upon watching it back because when I'm shooting the game from up top, I'm really tight and I can't see the entire formation. So it's kind of it's tough for me because I want to zoom out and almost shoot all 22 but that's terrible video we can't use that for tv so I can't get a a feel a good feel of it but I watch back you mentioned to me in text that every single snap Iowa State's sending somebody in motion shifting somebody every single play which obviously is making Oklahoma's wheels spin defensively and you're right every single play every single snap there's some sort of movement some sort of some sort of decision by Iowa State pre-snap to get some sort of advantage on Oklahoma. And I think that's a big reason why, again, Oklahoma was able to was not able to stop the run well because I think they were able to overload a lot of the sides with tight ends, big sets, which Iowa State does. We knew that coming in. Shifting players, putting players in motion, that eye candy, as defensive coordinators call it. And Brees Hall had a really nice night, and he broke a lot of tackles, but he also had a lot of open I, running what I lanes. mean. With with my Kennedy Brooks comparison with him, or my, I? I still saw I saw more like David Montgomery on steroids. That's to me what I saw. I just don't think he has the same gait as Kennedy Brooks. Kennedy Brooks has an incredibly unique gait when he runs. Yeah, I know. I guess I, I'm more I'm more thinking like in terms of him gliding because that's that's what he looks like when he when he runs. So he's Either good. Way, he's, he's really, really good. good. He's really good. And uh, a lot of those missed tackles that we were talking about happened against Brees Hall kind of right around the line of scrimmage. And uh, Where have we heard that before when Oklahoma plays Iowa State? My God. Yeah, it's just no bueno. So, And, I mean, I came away from that game really impressed by Iowa State. Um, I, I had said before the game that I going into this, I think Iowa State may have the best offensive personnel that OU has faced this season so far. And I came, away, I came out of that game, I, I think that's correct. They got a lot of weapons on that offense. Um, they got they have three very capable tight ends, and in th- in this day and age of football, you can do some really interesting and creative stuff with that. And especially when they got and they got they got Kohler, who's really good at going up and getting. He's a big body, and then the other guy is kind of a, a quick darty guy, the the redhead Allen. I thought uh, he's pretty he's athletic, and um, and they got I mean they got they got a couple good receivers. Tariq Milton is is huge. He, he's a big body. And then, of course, with Brees Hall, who is so good in the open field. And then Purdy, who is, who's really good at sensing pressure and, and keeping his eyes downfield while, while he's under pressure. So Iowa State's a, a really good team. They're really good. They're, they're, they're pretty snake bit this year. I think, obviously, the story of their season so far is when they've absolutely had to make a play to win a game down the stretch, they just haven't been able to do it. Um, but play-by-play... Um, or when you when you account for every single play, I mean they they're toe to toe with everybody. They're good. They're really good. Iowa State's lost four games this year by a combined eleven points, and seven of those points were against Oklahoma State. So the three other losses were by a combined four points. 
and I was tweeting back and forth with Caden McFarlane, who's uh, one of the, the Tulsa sports guys Saturday night, and because he was talking about how good Iowa State is, and yeah, I agree. It's it's a it's such a great team. Uh, great's probably too strong. It's a really good team, and you look at the record though. What was Iowa State five and four now, and they just can't get over the hump. And Caden brought up, well, it's really difficult to to win these types of games with mostly three-star players and a smattering of four-star guys like Iowa State has. So basically the point is Matt Campbell's getting the absolute the absolute most out of what he has to work with, I would say, in his recruiting to Iowa State. And I know you follow recruiting maybe a little, a little more than I do. I don't know what the recruiting classes have been recently, but I can't imagine they're they're that high. I mean, has Iowa State's recruiting gotten any better? We don't have to spend a lot of time on this. I'm just curious. Did, do you know, is Iowa State's recruiting better, or do you even know? I think it's marginally better, but it's not elite or anything like that. I mean, it's still it's still bottom half of the Big 12, I'm sure. I mean, Brock Purdy, I think, was was he a four-star quarterback? I, I think so, yeah. I think he was yeah. a four-star guy. So he's obviously really good. But uh, So maybe that's it. I mean, that's the difference maybe in, in pulling out those wins is just yeah, the talent I, just isn't there. But, yeah, I mean, with Iowa State, it's just – I. And and it stinks. I mean, they're they're five and four. That's obviously not a shiny record at all. But I don't I don't the quality of that team, their record does not reflect it at all. And like so I don't is is Florida like that much better than Iowa State? Probably not, right? I wouldn't say so, no. I texted this too last night. We watched watching Iowa State again. I know Oklahoma's defense is playing its worst football right now. But Iowa State's offense, very good. Moves the ball really well. It's just super annoying. Every single year we get to this point of the season, it seems like. And I shouldn't say every year. It's maybe the last three years. And I'm always just even more frustrated and annoyed that Iowa State can't score against Iowa and can't beat Iowa when they play in, like, week one or week two. It's like, that's so dumb. It's such a weird look. It's almost like because Iowa has the entire offseason to get ready for that game and they, they're able to shut down Iowa State's offense. But that's a random sidebar. I mean, I, just, I'll, I have like maybe a bit of a, you know, a, a more substantive reason why I Iowa State's defense, right, is com- is is completely catered to defend the Big 12. Um, and when you go up against an Iowa team, maybe that is going to get an eye formation. And like, what if they can just kind of pick up three or four yards, you know, a pop on the ground? So it's a time of possession the thing. Chain. A time the of possession thing. This is why. And you've even seen what what what's been the team that has really been Iowa State's kryptonite the last three years in the Big Twelve? A team that's that hasn't been that great, but has given Iowa State really good games. It's been Kansas State. Kansas State plays very similarly in style to Iowa, don't they? Um, well, I was going to say I, Oklahoma I, State's also been Iowa. State's Oklahoma State kryptonite. gives them trouble too. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, teams that really try to establish the run and try to bully you in the box, and I, I don't. It's, I don't think it's any sort of coincidence that Iowa State plays a defense where they have three down linemen and they drop eight a lot of the time in coverage. And that doesn't always lend to getting a ton of plays behind the line of scrimmage um, unless you're really shooting gaps and you, you kind of know what the, the offense is going to run. So uh, it, it makes sense, but I think I, Iowa State does really well against those teams that spread it out and try it because that's, that's kind of the... That's the culture of their program. That's the identity of their program. That's kind of what they do now. All right, we've talked bad on the defense. The second half is bad. The dropped interception, the bad run defense, tackling, things like that. A little bit of good. I, I do appreciate that you brought up that fourth down or the, that drive where Oklahoma was able to stop Iowa State in the second half. That was a long drive, by the way, like a 
like a 12 play drive that took up six like, minutes and I think it was 11 plays 28 yards six minutes just crazy let's see I got it right here in the drive chart it was 12 plays 19 yards oh yeah six minutes 49 seconds took up wow I mean it just and it felt like when that play was made and Oklahoma got that stop it didn't it kind of I mean maybe obviously it was wrong but I kind of thought that was it it's like okay Oklahoma's gonna get the ball back here take some time yeah, off I the thought clock, they would, go I, score and I mean that was and then I would say it scored not one but two touchdowns after that that turnover on downs Ugh. yeah I kind of thought yeah I thought Brooks would break off like a big run or something to ice it on the next drive um but yeah and so uh, b- before we transition to, to talk about the offense I another thing that we need to bring up I, penalties are, are killing the team again and they, they actually they killed Iowa State a lot more than than OU last night um, but I penalties man I, penalties drive me insane so like I, I I don't I don't necessarily have anything like philosophical to say about it or anything but you just, you got to be more disciplined what was the deal you were watching on TV what was the deal with Brendan Radley Hiles's penalty on unsportsmanlike did they talk about that or show a replay or explain yeah, they that did. at all you know what i thought it was a tad ticky tack but yeah i mean yeah Buki just kind of just hit the guy away from the ball and it was just a it was like a really hard shove to the chest like he's trying to block one of those things but it was it was away from the play the guy didn't go to the ground or anything um i thought it was a little ticky tack but it's i suppose if you want to throw a flag for that it's it's kind of defensible after the game, talking to Brendan Radley Hiles, he took full responsibility for it. He was asked about you know, Lincoln Riley getting really mad at him. He said, "Yep, that was on him." So, you know, he he never makes excuses. Brendan Radley Hiles, he was t- so just wanted to throw that in there just for a little context. But yeah, I didn't see what happened. But yeah, I agree. Penalties are are bad, and that was a storyline for the first month or so of the season because Oklahoma was being pretty heavily penalized, but obviously the defense was playing pretty well and Oklahoma was winning. And granted, there were some offensive penalties too here and there. And the whole idea of it was that, and Lincoln Riley talked about this over and over again, and Alex Grinch to some extent as well, is that they want the guys to be aggressive. And I think Alex Grinch mentioned at some point that if there's not some pass interference penalties or holding penalties in a game, then then that's, I don't know if he used the word unacceptable, but basically giving them license to, yeah, that sometimes you got to do that and see what you can get away with. And I in the podcast, I mentioned that. I hate that. I, I, I'm not a big fan of this because I, I like playing clean, good coverage in football, but I, I get it. I mean, you try to get away with things. You see it all the time. Some really good defenses just hold and commit PIs a lot, and they force the officials to throw flags. And it seems like a lot of those teams, though, when they do that, they are also really good defensively. And so the reason I bring up all of this stuff is that now Oklahoma has had two games on tape where defensively the Sooners look pretty bad. So it's not really an excuse whenever you commit these holding and PI penalties and things like that, that, oh, well, at least the defense is still playing well. Defense is not playing well, and you're committing penalties, and they're dumb penalties. And so that's what bothers me. And just on a side note, that will forever bother me no matter what when it comes to Oklahoma, and not just the Sooners, but any college football team or any NFL team that's ultimately not all that good or isn't understanding the situation. Anytime there's an incomplete pass – or you don't really do much to break up a play, and ultimately your team is playing really badly, and you're not looking that good, and you still want to get up, and you want to give the incomplete sign and act like you made some great play whenever ultimately 
the team is looking really poor or you you suck. That's such a bad look. That's just a bad look all the way around. It just to me it shows that you don't have a lot of awareness. And I know that the whole point of uh, not shouldn't say the whole point, but a big part of playing defensive back. They say all the time. I remember hearing this all the time when I was playing in high school again. I know not anywhere near what the level these guys are playing, but you're supposed to have a short memory. Play the next play. But these guys are taking it to the extreme a lot of the times where, yeah, we totally forgot about how we gave up a 45 yard touchdown pass on the last play or the last series. But, you know, hey, the, the ball was like thrown out of bounds and I got a hand on a guy. And oh, yep, that's incomplete. Like, come on, just go to play the next play, make a play. That's a small thing, but I, I would bet it annoys a lot of other people too. And I wasn't as bothered by it for a lot of part of the first part of the season because Oklahoma was actually playing good defense. They're playing well, but now through you know, the past two games and you don't play as well, it, it reminds me a lot of last year and and some of the guys that just kind of looked like they, they just didn't get it. And so I get that they're college kids, but that definitely annoys me. Are we ready to move to offense or do you, uh, you want to close the book on the defense? No, I'm good. I thought that was good. All right, I think uh, we were kind of transitioning into uh, – go. Ba- let's go back to that fourth down stop. So good on the defense for getting that stop, getting Iowa State off the field in the fourth quarter. We both kind of thought, all right, this is when Oklahoma's offense is going to ice the game away, and it didn't. And so only seven points after halftime, and I believe those seven points came pretty early on in the third quarter for Oklahoma. Nothing in the fourth quarter. What do we start with the offense here? Let's see. I got my good, bad, and mixed. So, okay, here we go. Let's just do individually. Good, easy. C.D. Lamb was awesome again. Grant, your C.D. Lamb for Big 12 Player of the Year campaign is in full force, it sounds like. Yeah, he's the best. I, I don't, like, he he's definitely the best player in the Big 12 in my mind. Um, I think it's I think it's completely up for debate whether or not that, that Big 12 Player of the Year should go to should it go to the MVP of the league or should it go to the best player? I don't know. I, I feel like that's that that's a fair debate. But no, I mean I'm I'm totally on that bandwagon. I love CD Lamb. The guy is he's he's insane. And I mean th- this is the CD Lamb year. Um I, I, I think he he might be having the most impactful season for a receiver maybe ever in OU history. And I know Ryan Broyles had some amazing seasons, but um it kind of sometimes feels like CD Lamb is the passing game, right? Yeah, which is somewhat discouraging, actually, considering all the weapons Oklahoma has. I mean, Charleston Rambo was a ghost Saturday. I think he had maybe one or two catches. He's not really well, been Hertz part of the passing him game. On, uh, on one, yeah, on one, you uh, know, one play shot. where he just totally dusted his guy. I mean, it was a. Yep, he yeah. did. You're right. So he could have had an explosive play if the throw would have been a little better. Aside from CD Lamb, I got to pull up the box score. I mean, I know that I think Jeremiah Hall had a. A catch or two. Uh, Braden Willis had a had a nice catch, but uh, yeah, Hall had three three grabs. Rambo had two. I, you know, Trajan Bridges had the one catch for the touchdown. But uh, yeah, it's the man. It, it really does seem like it doesn't seem it, it's true that Jalen Hurts is certainly locking in to CD Lamb. Which, to be fair, that's something that you call for a lot. I call for a lot. Hey, get the ball to your NFL receivers. But man, against a team like Iowa State, when you you don't read the coverage right or you don't see something, uh, you know I'll, I'll save this for bad or but we're we're still in good. So let's let's stick on Lamb. But yeah, Lamb was great uh, on his touchdown, his his second touchdown. My favorite thing about that play, 
was the very beginning of it. I love when he caught the ball and turned up field. Just he was already at full acceleration. And he mentioned it earlier in the season when he touches the ball, catches the ball. I think it was either before or after Texas that in his mind, he he thinks he's going to score. And I think a lot of college football players and players in the NFL would probably say something like that. But do they really mean it or do they really think it in their head? CeeDee Lamb definitely means it and definitely thinks he's going to score every time he touches the ball. And that was a perfect example because he was at a full sprint with just his his mind on the end zone. And it's like he's so good at feeling pressure, feeling where the hits are going to come in, and he's able to, to make moves, but also he's able to shed off tacklers because he's put so much time into the weight room. He's so much stronger. And so I just wanted to explain what my favorite part of that play was. And I am with you. He – I'm starting to maybe come around with you. He might be the best player in this conference, which is pretty insane because he's a wide receiver. So, and I think you know, I I got to think right now because um, no, I mean nobody else is really jumping out to me as having like you know monster seasons. He's he's got to be the leader I think right now to win the Bolitnikov. Um, he's he's just been sensational. I what has he got? He's got 13 touchdowns now. I think. Yeah, I don't know. I mean I that's a great that's are. a great season already for for a for a receiver in terms of that. I think he's a shade under a thousand yards now too. So, uh, yeah, I, I, he he's well on his way. One of the best seasons for a receiver in OU history for sure. More good Kennedy Brooks. Kennedy Brooks got a lot of carries compared to what we've seen previously. He had a really nice game. The highlight, obviously, that long touchdown run. And as I was shooting that from up top, when I saw him pointing out down the field. And then a second later, when he was able to just kind of stop almost on a dime and just kind of eschew Greg Eisworth by <laughs> into the sideline and then just waltz in for the touchdown, I, I, I started laughing as I was shooting it because it was just – he made it look so easy and so smooth. And, uh, by the way, Greg Eisworth, uh, that guy's good. I, he was definitely – if, if he was less than 100% as I thought he might be, I, I didn't see it. He had a great game. He was really good. He was all over the place, by the way. But uh, not in that play. Uh, Kennedy Brooks kind of just <laughs> stopped and watched him go by. And after the game, I had to know. I asked Brooks. I was like, hey, man, when you were running for that touchdown, and I saw you point out, who were you pointing at? I said, were you pointing at 12? I, he's like, oh, yeah, that was the guy I was pointing at. I was like, oh, so so you're saying that you pointed at him and nobody blocked it, but then you just took care of him yourself? He's like, yeah. <laughs> and he started laughing. So I was like, yeah, I think right, everybody. that's pretty uh, great. I think everyone when watching that, when he did that just little sidestep, you think everyone watching that just went whoop, because that's like that was like the Chris Berman thing. Yeah, just, that was that cool. was pretty good. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a good run. Kennedy Brooks is really good. So I mean that's that's what you that's what you see when you when you feed him the rock. And um, geez, I don't know. I mean we we can transition into talking about the run game because I. I, I may need to go back and rewatch it, but did it seem like it was basically once Adrian Ely got hurt, that's when the run game just totally was gone? I don't have any thoughts on that. When did he go down? In the third quarter? I think it was in the third quarter, yeah. Third or fourth quarter? I don't know. I'd have to go back and watch. I don't have any strong thoughts on that. By the way, when he did go down, which we don't know the severity yet, the, Lincoln Rally didn't provide any details after the game. It was interesting, R.J. Proctor came in, and Eric Swinson moved from left tackle to right tackle, and Proctor played left tackle. So, interesting, they clearly feel like Proctor's more comfortable at left tackle, so they move Swinson over to the right. The running game, 
I'd have to go back and watch it again and almost do the same exact thing I did against Kansas State because there's going to be calls again because Jalen Hurts had 22 carries. Kennedy Brooks had 15. Trey Sermon had one, by the way. Trey Sermon doesn't look good. Uh, nothing official on him, Grant, but I, I if I had to bet, I'd say that he's going to be done for the year. I think he has an ACL injury. Is that yeah, what you get too. the feeling too? Yeah, Bruce Feldman said on the, on the broadcast last night that his uh, – um, as he was coming out of the tent, his eyes were red and he was rubbing his eyes. Um, so that, so th- that leads me to believe he got some bad news in the tent. So based on Feldman's report and one of the upsides of me being up top shooting the, one, the way I do during those games, I have, a, I have a lens where I can zoom in pretty far. And so when he was on the field, I was looking and watching and the trainers were uh, the first thing I saw the trainers doing was kind of tests kind of moving around on his left knee and then also on his left lower leg and they were kind of doing those tests and about a moment before Brooks started kind of being helped up I looked over at Lincoln Riley who was there and Riley kind of took his his visor off and kind of did one of those things where he kind of looked up into the air and he he looked very disappointed almost kind of like they kind of knew that's kind of what I took from it it's obviously nothing's official, but that's just my opinion. It looked like at that point they kind of probably knew, and then it sounds like when they went to the tent and checked out and Feldman's report, not looking good. And I saw the replay of it too, and that it looked kind of it looked very ACL-ish, <laughs> the way his knee kind of bent. So man, that that's a that'd be a tough way for obviously for Sermon to to end his year, just the way things have been going for him. Yeah, I, that's it sucks, man. I, I'm just not great. Not great. We'll we'll wait on that though. We'll but wait. Again, not, sure, not sure. We'll good. wait. But just and it, again, Ely. We're not sure about Ely either. Uh, also, Kenneth Mann got hurt too. I think we forgot to mention that. And defense, um, yeah, yeah. And we did. don't. I'm not sure about that, but it didn't. He was pretty ginger coming off, I think. So, mm-hmm. and also too, kind of flying under the radar. I hope Ramondre Stevenson is okay. He had that one carry, went for 12 yards, and I could tell when he, he kind of got pulled down, his leg kind of was dragging behind him, I think, on the tackle, and he was kind of gingerly moving back to the, the huddle, and he stayed in the next play, and he was blocking. And then I think he didn't play another snap the rest of the game. Oh, that's right. T.J. Pledger got a carry in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. So I don't know about Ramondre Stevenson. I, I mean, all of a sudden, Oklahoma's running back depth could be hurting bad. Two running backs. Two. Mm-hmm. Just be Brooks and, and pleasure, and I believe that uh, I, no, I, no, I'm not gonna say this because I don't know if this is privileged information or not. So sorry, guys. I, I know that you're like, what is it? But I, I can't. Um, so, yeah, running back depth, not potentially not great. So, anyways, we were talking Calcaterra about the didn't game. play either. Calgatera missed again. Uh, injuries stacking up at, at the worst time. So yeah, this team is it's they're beat up. Obviously, I mean Trey Brown left for a bit. Um, yeah, man, it's uh it's getting pretty hairy. I, I mean it's it, it's getting pretty tough. This is I, I'm not sure that they've they've faced injuries like this in, in past seasons, um, or at least recently. It's um it it's starting to get a lot a lot more difficult to envision this season kind of ending how we all want it to. If if we're all being honest, right? I mean, it's no, sure, it, it's going to sure. take yeah, it, it, it's going to take uh, a pretty special effort from this team, this coaching staff, uh, to kind of rally this team. And I even saw some of the players after the game just talking to the media, 
I mean, you could barely tell that they won the game. I mean, they were they're they seem kind of shell shocked and disappointed and confused with 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 the fact that it doesn't it doesn't feel like they're playing very well. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it you got to give Iowa State credit for being a really good team, but when you're up three touchdowns at halftime and they just kind of blitz you there in the second half and you are I mean you are an inch away from losing that game if Pernell Motley doesn't make a play. And so I think I think a lot of the a lot of the players might just might be questioning right now how good they really are. And uh I think a lot of us are right now too because um I it's it sure has looked like that they've regressed from the first month and a half of the season. That's a good transition to talk about Jalen Hurts because after the game at the press conference Maybe recency bias here, but that was my favorite Jalen Hurts press conference to date. And y'all remember the last podcast, I wanted to see him come out and play really well because that would have told me that the reason he was acting the way he was acting at the previous press conference is that he was so focused and he didn't have time for this and he wanted to get back to getting ready for the game. And I thought overall Jalen Hurts played okay in the first half. He had two balls that should have been picked. One of them would have been a pick six. That was really bad. He also had a couple of really nice third down conversions that were big. One in the first half where he was able to extend the play and complete a pass to Braden Willis. He had a nice third down conversion in the third quarter to extend a drive that led to uh, Oklahoma scoring, I believe, on the Kennedy Brooks touchdown. So Jalen Hurts, after the game, he had some – he had some thoughts. He actually wanted to talk, and he was detailed. He had a, brought a little levity to the room. He wasn't acting very curt and very short. And what stood out to me, some of the sound bites, is that he said, "I've always, ever since I got here, ever since I got to Oklahoma, I've been wait. I've been curious to see, you know, what this team is going to be like when they get thrown into the fire." And he also took blame and said, you know, I put this team in ba- a bad spot. You know, I, it was on me. And obviously, too, I mentioned those two balls that should have been picked. He threw a really bad interception that set up Iowa State's touchdown that gave him a chance to win the game. That was really bad. So he took responsibility, and he, he, then he made a bit of a joke and said, hey, don't – like, we're happy we won. Don't, uh, don't let this stoic face fool you. I'm happy we won the game. So it was a classic, they're glad they won, but they know they need to get a lot better. And in a way, Hertz said that the team kind of needed this because he's curious to see how they respond to it. And I know a lot of this probably sounds like cliches, and they are, they are, but for whatever reason, and I know I don't have any sound bites to play for you, and I apologize for that, but the way he's been at these press conferences, you can kind of tell when he actually does want to say some things and that was a press conference where he actually did want to say, listen, here's the deal, guys. And he gave us detailed explanations of, of what he actually thought and not just holding back. And I appreciated that. So in a way, it was a, it was a way for me. I, it, it ended the night well for me. I, I came away from the Jalen Hurts press conference kind of optimistic. And I'm not going to fool myself into thinking that this team is, is going to all of a sudden become great and play the rest of the season like they did the first six games offensively and then hopefully defensively I I don't know that's going to happen yet but for whatever reason I I kind of bought back in if you will 
to Jalen Hurts as a guy that can lead this team. And when people when he talks, people will listen. And I'll admit, I kind of fell for it a little bit, and not in a bad way, kind of in a good way. Where uh, he and I was a little down on him going into that game, the way he was handling the media. I liked the way he handled it after the game. I liked what he said. And so you know what I. I'll give credit to Jalen Hurts. I know you didn't hear the press conference. You don't know what he said. I mean, you can watch it on Soonersports.com, by the way, if you're listening to this. It's it's up there. You can watch it. See if you feel the same way I did. I A lot of platitudes, but for whatever reason, it worked for me. And so I got to give Jalen credit, Jalen Hurts credit for that. After a, a pretty mixed bag of a game, I thought, I thought for him. So, Grant, what do you think about Hurts? Well, sure. This is where leadership is going to be really important. And I think that the team is going to go as he goes a lot of the way, especially here in November through the end of the season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, going in, I mean, they're going into the meat grinder next week in Waco. That's a 9-0 and team. That's going to be a, a supercharged crowd. College game day is going. Um, this is a perfect opportunity for them to, to, to re-jumpstart their season. Um, with an impressive win, they can get everybody feeling good about OU again. But... I mean, with what they've shown the last two times out, that is very far from a given. And they're really going to have to rally the troops this week, and they're going they're going to have to have urgency in their preparation. They're going to have urgency in their attitude um, because they have to come out and they, they really need to play well next Saturday night. And I think a lot of that is going to have to do with Jalen Hurts. So um, hopefully for him, this, this game is a bit of a wake-up call because um, – I think in this game, maybe more so than any other game this season, um, he's his his limitations that he kind of highlighted at Alabama really really sprang up again. I think um, when his first read is taken away, he he instantly looks to run to his right, and what that does is eliminate a complete half of the field, and he drifts and he's not as accurate. And then we saw kind of the worst case scenario of what can happen when he does that um, in the fourth quarter when he threw that incredibly ill advised pick. So um, Jalen Hurts has got to be better. And I, I think a, a part of this really is just it goes to show the, uh, the standard that has been set at the quarterback position at Oklahoma in the last four or five seasons and how good it's been. Um, Jalen Hurts is having statistically an incredible season. Um, but I think everyone would agree that this, this offense has not shown the, the, the same ceiling at all uh, as we've seen the last four seasons. Um, especially in the passing game. They just they just don't really have it. And it's I think sometimes on Saturdays when you watch this offense, it sometimes sort of looks like that they don't have an identity on offense. They don't necessarily know what they want to be. And um, they need to figure that out really quickly. Yeah, I agree with the identity thing. Maybe we can get into more detail on that later on in the next podcast because we're trying to kind of try to wrap this up with some three-word reviews because, yeah, I, I get that sense too. I think that's a good word. I saw some tweets about that. I uh, apologize, I can't remember exactly who it was. But yeah, I hadn't really thought of that yet. But yeah, it's they're not really sure what they want to do, which is very bizarre because they, they still are incredibly successful. And that was the best game, statistically, points-wise, that Lincoln Riley's had against an Iowa State team. I mean, put up 42 on them. And Iowa State's been able to hold OU underneath their average normally. And, and they needed every every single point, obviously, to win. All right, Grant, let's wrap it up with some three-word reviews. Do you have the Facebook page or, or Twitter open at all? No, I don't. Sorry. Okay. What? You got to – come on, man. Work with me here. You got to get – I need some help here. All right, so pull one of them up. I'll start with Twitter because we got a ton on Twitter. We got – which after crazy games like that, close games, you're going to get a lot more. 
let's start with nah. Well, that's this is the way this is going to go. Let's start with L.A. Sooner, who uh, I appreciate L.A. Sooner because he always puts up the games on YouTube. You can watch, and I've been watching a lot of his stuff going back years. If you ever want to go back and watch OU stuff, so I appreciate he jumped into the three word reviews. But it's a pretty negative we were three word review. He says we ate poop. All right, thank you, L.A. Sooner. Let's see. There's so many of these to go through. I'll go. I'll go to a Facebook one. I like this one. I uh, th- this one has my full endorsement. Says Greg. Says give CD Bolitnikov. Agreed. <laughs> He's awesome. All right, back to Twitter. This is from Sega Sooner on Twitter. Mike Stoops rehired. Ouch, ouch. You don't want to hear that, Alex Grinch. Matt Dotson is got some thoughts about. Brendan Radley Hiles, his three-word review is Buki can't play. Let's see here the, on the one Facebook. Thing, uh, oh, say sorry, the one what? thing about Bradley Hiles that I mean, yeah, the, the foul was bad, but there was one play where he he's still doing the thing where he'll just like run his body and just like jump at a player and thinking that he's gonna tackle somebody by just throwing his body at him uh, and it just never works. And it's very disheartening that he hasn't been been coached out of that style now in his second year almost through the whole year so i just uh, I, I mean that that's just kind of frustrating i will say one thing about buki there were instances in the game where i noticed that he was he was manned up against charlie kohler and he did a pretty good job every Very first time. series of the game on third down yeah. made a nice play he didn't he, he didn't give up any any catches to kohler uh last night so i i mean yeah i mean when buki is tasked with 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 defending a receiver He's done a pretty good job this season across the board. Um, there's just he, he's he's definitely got some holes in his game, and honestly, a lot of them are physical limitations. Well, it seems like the thing that we were really excited about with him coming out of high school, his coverage skills, because we thought he'd be a really good corner. That is that has not really waned. I mean, he's good. He's a good coverage player. I mean, that's what he's really good at. It's just, and I'm sure that's why he was so highly recruited. He probably he took away players took away sides of the field but you know in high school it's your your tackling's not going to be exposed as much in high school but it certainly can especially whenever you have teams like Kansas State and Iowa State loading up on tight ends and and big sets and just over overrunning one side of the field and just washing you out of the play it's i mean that's when the physical nature and the strength really comes in more on twitter Ryan who I work with he says too much hurts and yeah that's We'll have to go back and rewatch it again to, and almost count again how many plays we think you know should Hurts have given given this ball away? Should he have kept it? I, I don't know if it was as bad a big of a deal in this game because I mean Kennedy Brooks still got what sixteen carries. I mean they they clearly made an effort to give him the ball early in the game, but uh, it it does seem like I mean this offense certainly runs through Jalen Hurts and I, I'm not so sure how much of a problem it is if it even is a problem. I don't know that answer yet because we we said last game we thought that was a very overblown the whole running back situation, and I don't know if it's if it's an issue after this game either. Grant, do you do you have any thoughts? Because I I don't know. I I don't I honestly don't think it's an issue, but again I don't know. I after last game I was pretty certain it wasn't a problem. This time I don't think it was, but I really don't know. What about you? I mean, it feels like there's there's some sort of unevenness in the offense, and I. I'm not sure. Maybe there are too many read plays. Maybe they're giving him too many options. 
But also, I don't. It's it's a slippery slope because I think the emergence of plays like that have added kind of a new dimension to OU's offense that's really difficult to defend. I just think it, it so happens that, especially in this game against Iowa State, I thought Iowa State probably done has done the best job so far of accounting for Jalen Hurts in the run game. I think they spied him on every single play. All right, yeah, I, I mean, which it makes sense. I mean, he's. When he's carrying the ball 20 times a game, it makes sense to have somebody accounted for him. Let's see. I'm trying to go through all the Twitter ones. Garrett says, more on Jalen Hurts. Hurts system QB. Some negative Jalen Hurts stuff, and it's, I mean, you could say it's warranted. John Hoover has a good one. from uh, he's, He writes for the franchise, and he, he does the Inside OU podcast on Locked On Sooners. Actually, by the way, if you're listening this long, I – John asked me to go on his podcast this next week, so I'm going to be on John's podcast. I really appreciate the invitation, so we're going to talk a little Oklahoma football and maybe some other things. But anyways, John's got a good one. He says, 1-0 this week, which is obviously referencing Jalen Hurts' press conference earlier in the week. That's right. They went 1-0. Jalen Hurts accomplished his goal. Let's see here. On Facebook, Justin says, he's pretty negative with some of these, but we can forgive him for that after last night. Playing without urgency certainly felt like that at some uh, during some points of the second half. That's for sure. He the says game opened with urgency, but it wasn't for full sixty minutes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, says defense missing tackles. Yes, a very big, uh, you know, <laughs> obviously a huge, huge story of the game. Um, he says losing to Baylor. Maybe, yeah. I mean, Baylor seems to be having kind of a charmed season right now, and. They have some weapons on offense, and they, they're playing good team defense. Um, CD is money. Yes, he is. I will read, I will, I will read any three-word review that has to do with CD Lamb. <laughs> I like Josh's here on Twitter, at Shaq Adams. Defense, my God. <laughs> That's pretty good. Hey, they, they still, like how many games did they give up over 600 yards last year? Every Haven't given up 500 like. once this year. All right, all right. So I mean, that's I mean that's is that significant? I don't know. The defense has been terrible the last two weeks, but I I suppose that's a marker of improvement. I guess I don't know. Maybe. I mean, it's certainly better. Than, the defense still is better than it was last year. There's no doubt about that. But we were given this standard the first seven games where there was times where it was kind of bad, but for the most part, it was good. And it's just we haven't seen anything like that the last. And the last two games have been so different. Ringer on Twitter, survive in advance. That's the the glass half full way to look at it. And why not look at it that way? I mean, again, like I said in the opening take, it's it's going to be middle of November by next week, and Oklahoma is still playing meaningful football, which if you listen to this podcast the last couple of years since we began, that's kind of my standard too. Is Because whenever Oklahoma's out of it, it's just the season does not feel like it matters, guys. It just – I could be wrong about – I mean, that, some of you might disagree with that, but it just – it almost – it's like, what's the point? That's a big reason why I want more teams in the playoff because it would make more teams care deeper into the season. But at least right now, even with the 14 playoff, Oklahoma still has some meaningful football going into Oklahoma's 10th game of the season. Uh, let's, let's wrap this here. up uh, here. Uh, well, Give say, me a couple more. On, I was going to say, I have some more on Facebook. Let me, let me go through these. Uh, Caleb says, forget the Heisman. And well, I mean, yeah, for sure. And Joe Burrow pretty much wrapped it up anyway on on Saturday, and he should. He is he is absolutely uh, the Heisman Trophy winner this year. 
Um, let's see here. Trey says, playoff in question. Sure is. Kelly says, one, but lost. Yep. That's pretty good. Travis, CD is grown. In all caps, I agree. He's very good. I have some more CD Lamb-related ones on Twitter here from Mav, at Brent Mitchell. CD is good. And then he says, in a different one, he says, like Heisman good. <laughs> uh, let's, let's find one more here on Twitter before we wrap this one up. Benjamin says, please, no playoff. Benjamin doesn't mm. want to be embarrassed in the playoff. Interesting. You know what? Let's end on this one from our friend Elliot on Twitter. Ruined my parlay. Well, Elliot, that's what you get for betting on OU in that game. That was a total, who knows what's going to happen in that one. If you're going to take anybody, like we told you, hey, we actually got this one right, Grant. We were we said, hey, Iowa State plus the points sounds like the, the, the right side. I know we've been pretty bad picking games, but eh, something. That was a total game where I could not have imagined taking Oklahoma in that game. Unless you took them on the money line, I suppose, but... Uh, all right, that's all I have. I know that you went to that Minnesota-Penn State game, but we're running late, and I got to get going. Can we save that for the midweek podcast to give your thoughts on that game? Yeah, that's fine. Sure. Great game, by the way. Fun watch. Yeah, it was a really good. fun game to go to. All right, so we'll save that for, for next week. Thank you to all for the three-word reviews. We really appreciate you guys jumping in, helping us out with the show, and, and listening to the show as well. That does it for today. You know, I'm not usually a, a sunshine pumping kind of guy, but I kind of overall, maybe at times in this show, you didn't quite feel that. But overall, honestly, I'm kind of in the mood for that for whatever reason. So be happy that this Oklahoma team is eight and one now still in the thick of things. There's a big one at Baylor Saturday. We'll be back later this week to talk all about the Bears. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.